You know, whenever God calls, it can be really scary, especially um, if, if things uh, aren't clear or, um, you know, it, it, it's not exactly clear what it is that God's calling us to, um, and there's uncertainty there. I mean, that can be kind of scary sometimes. Or, you know, like w- when you get to the edge um, or to a fork in the road, or, or to some kind of crossroads. There, there's some kind of obstacle in the way. And so this, this place that, that God is pointing to, um, we're left with this question like, well, how in the world am I ever going to get there? Uh, you know? Sometimes whenever God says to go, we're just like, well, we can't just go. It's not that easy. But one of the things that we discovered in, in Abram's story is that he did. You know, Abram's journey begins with, with, with these words. Uh, this is from our text from last week. Uh, and the Lord said to Abram, Go, leave your country and your kindred and your father's house uh, to this land that I will show you. Like, it wasn't all that clear. We're not really sure what kind of wrestling went on there, but what what we do know from the text is, uh, is that Abram went. The Lord said to Abram, go, and Abram went. And I find myself wondering what that was like for him. Like Abram heard God's voice, God spoke, and it was enough. You know, the, the text doesn't give us any details about that point in particular. It just says that the Lord spoke. Um, was that some kind of an audible voice? You know, that happens sometimes in the Bible. We'll come across a story, like Moses, for example. Uh, Moses is just minding his own business, tending the sheep on top of the mountain, and a bush catches fire. You're familiar with that story. And it says that when Moses turned aside to look at the bush that was on fire but not being consumed, like that's when the Lord spoke from the bush and called Moses by name. And then you read that story, it's like, this is just great conversation that happens. I mean, you know, um, God puts Moses in a very uncomfortable place and says, I want you to go across the wilderness to the land of Egypt to, to encounter the Pharaoh. Um, but it's like there was this, this very real conversation, like a conversation like I would have with you over coffee. Um, and then the, there's the example with Jesus, you, you know. Uh, Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism and there is an audible voice from heaven. Like that's what the story says. Like a voice from heaven that Jesus could hear, that surely John the Baptist could hear and the people around. Um, this, this word of, of love and beauty from God. It was audible. You could hear it. And from there, uh, the Spirit says to Jesus, go. And, and he goes into the wilderness and he fasts and he prays for, for 40 days. Um, and, and there's... There's this conversation that happens, and it's like maybe the same way I would give you a compliment or tell you that I love you or that I'm proud of you and so on. Uh, my, my experience has never been like that. Um, there's never been an audible voice, but I can say with complete confidence that I have heard God speak. I'm so confident uh, that God has, has spoken and will speak, that like I've made life-altering decisions because of it. 
the first time was the calling into ministry, and I've shared that with you I don't know how many times, but it was just this five-word phrase, I want you to preach, I want you to preach. It wasn't audible, but it was more real than anything I had ever experienced. And it was also very disturbing. It was like a nightmare that I was trying to escape. Uh, some years later, I was on the beach in Costa Rica with a mission team, and I had escaped um, up the beach, was sitting on a drift, driftwood log, and the, the wind of the Pacific was, was blowing in my hair. I had lots of really good hair back then. And it wasn't the same as the calling to preach, but it was just this overwhelming sense that the day was coming, that I was going to be a missionary. And it was actually, it wasn't scary at all. It was romantic. Like, I'm, I'm on this beach, and I just saw this image of myself being in some... South American country in khaki shorts and a ball cap and boots with the cool socks hanging over the top, you know. Uh, I was going to be a missionary someday, and I just knew it. Like, God was speaking that into my life. Then there was uh, this sense of calling to plant a new church. And, and that was different, too. Like, this was, a, this was a calling that just all of a sudden was there. I was disturbed with the church and I was restless. And I remember standing out in the parking lot and just looking up and, and thinking, if only I could start from scratch, like with no people, just give me a piece of land and let me start a church. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just this stirring that kept me up at night. And I wake up in the morning, would be consumed with this idea and this passion and excitement about what the church could become and what the church could be. And it actually came true. Um, the bishop in, invited my wife, Chan, and me to Davie County to start the first United Methodist Church in 80 years in Davie County. There has been this call to be a missionary that stretched, you know, from that beach in Costa Rica for more than 10 years. But it was just really vague. Like there would be this, this physical thing that would happen to me when I would, would walk into the missions building and see all these mission artifacts. Um, this, this thing and that thing, uh, dreaming about being a missionary, and uh, someone would say something. And my wife, Chan, was even feeling it too. It was like, um, do you think God's calling us to be a missionary? And, and we weren't sure. But just like over the years, there, there would be this and there would be that. And it was just kind of there. But it wasn't clear. Well, we've, we're in the middle of this, of this new church plant. And all of a sudden it becomes clear. And it's a long story. And I don't want to bore you with all of the details. Uh, but I'll say enough to say that when the invitation came from the Bishop of Indonesia for us to come to Jakarta and plant a new English-speaking congregation in Jakarta, it was like all of these years of vague sense of calling became this puzzle piece that just fit right down perfectly and it became clear. It was like the fog lifted. It was like God was saying go and now we knew where God was, was, was pointing. And there's a lot of excitement about that, you know, except there was one big problem and there was, there was one big obstacle. Like God's timing was all wrong. We couldn't leave. There was no way that we could be obedient to God's call to go to Indonesia because we were in Davie County. Like everybody knows that you have to be 
10 years in a new church plant if it's gonna succeed. We were only four years into this thing. I couldn't leave. Didn't God know that? Like if I left now, like this church would fail. This church would fail without me. So we couldn't go. But Abram goes, seems like without hesitation. God says to go with, with some fog in the statement, like to a land that I'll show you. And yet Abram goes, and he goes with confidence because God has made promises. And he's motivated by this promise that God makes that, that you'll have a family and that you'll, you'll not only be blessed, but that you'll, you'll be a blessing to all the families of the earth and that you'll have land, that you'll have a, a place to call home. But you know, uh, on his journey, um, Abram and Sarah, they run into some serious problems too. Like, they've got obstacles to face. They're left with trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do? Like, God's pointing there, and yet this is what's happening here. And the first of those problems was the famine. It says in our text for today that there was a severe famine in the land. I mean, it was really bad. So you try to imagine what that's like. I don't know what it's like to be in, in a place where there's no food, um, but you're hungry, you're, you're possibly starving, and you know that you've got to do something about the food. And so it says that there was food in Egypt. It seems like there's always food in Egypt. And so uh, Abram and Sarah, they, they go to Egypt uh, because they had to have food. Uh, they had to survive. They had to live. Um, and you can't blame them for that. Nothing um, too strange about that part of the story. But, but once they approach Egypt, that's when it gets kind of wonky and, and strange. And, and I start saying, like, what is he thinking? So they get close to Egypt. And, and the second obstacle uh, is fear. Abram is just really afraid. And we know about that. Like, whenever God calls us to some place and to something, um, oftentimes the, the obstacles and, and the things that get in the way, uh, they, they frighten us. And maybe it's because we can't see what's on the other side of this, of this thing. Uh, but oftentimes we don't know what to do. Uh, Abraham is afraid that he's going to get murdered in Egypt because evidently Sarah is just drop-dead gorgeous. And Abram knows that when they get into Egypt that the Pharaoh is going to take notice and so that the Pharaoh can have Sarah, they're going to kill Abram. At least that's what uh, he thought. And so he comes up with this scheme. He takes matters into his own hands and it's this awful plan. And he convinces Sarah uh, to lie and say that she is his sister. Um, you know, I wonder what she thought about that. And that's another problem, um, is I doubt that she had much say. Um, anyway, that's what they do. They go to Egypt and they pretend that Sarah is Abram's sister, not his wife. And sure enough, because she's so beautiful, Pharaoh's officials, they, they notice her. And they report it to Pharaoh, and sure enough, just like Abram, you know, expected, um, the, the Pharaoh wants her for his wife. And so Abram's like, sure, and, and they go through with it. And it works out good for, for Abram in the sense that he gets all this stuff, you know. The, the Pharaoh uh, rewards him with, with camels and herds and, uh, and wealth and all that. Um, but, but it says 
that the Pharaoh took Sarah as his wife. And I'm reading that and I'm like, what? Have you read this story before? It doesn't make it into the lectionary text that they, they choose for us to, to read throughout the year in, in the church. And, and of course not, it's crazy. Like who does that? It disturbs me that Abram did that. Well, then there's this episode where God speaks to Pharaoh, I suppose, because Pharaoh is aware that it's the Lord who sends these plagues on him and on his house. And so he becomes angry and he comes to, he comes to Abram and like, what have, what have you done to me? Why did you lie to me? You said she was your sister and I've taken her as my wife. But she's your wife. And it causes all this harm. And so, so the, the Pharaoh says, take your wife, take all the stuff, and, and go, be gone with you. And so they're on the move again. It's not a very happy movement. You know, I was sitting early in the morning. It was like 5 o'clock in the morning, and I had some really good coffee. And I was wrestling with this call to be a missionary in the middle of this church plant. And early that morning, God whispered in my, in my ear, and it wasn't audible. But what God whispered to me was, don't you think I've got this? Don't you think I can take care of this church? And this peace washed over me. And so we left. We left everything that we loved. We left our country. We left our kindred. We left this church that we loved. Chan left her job at the hospital. We took our four kids with us. And we embarked on this adventure to become missionaries in Indonesia. Well, it's another long story, but you know, we didn't end up in Indonesia. Uh, we ended up in Lithuania. <laughs> We went from going to the equator to the North Pole, basically. But this is the thing that we know. We were blessed there. And without question, we know that God used us to bring blessing. Because in these places that we were, in this frozen tundra, there were these little United Methodist communities. And there were orphans who didn't have families and were alone, and yet they weren't alone. They had a family because there was this little United Methodist Church that just set up in this, what used to be an old uh, uh, storefront or bar. And on any given Sunday, there would be 40 or 50 kids, and, and there would be teaching, and there would be a hot meal, and there would be so much love. It was thick with it, and there was so much joy. And there were these widows who were all alone, and they were hungry, and they were really, really poor. and God used Chan and her ministry to, to bring food on a daily basis, but not just food, but friendship and relationship and conversation. And they had family. And they had hope. And, and they had life. You know, it turned out really good. Um, and the church back home, the church that we knew would just fail without us in just a matter of a few short years, it tripled in size. It went from 200 when we left to, to over 600. 
And you know, it turns out that we just needed to get out of the way and trust God. And God knew what God was doing, obviously. But you know, the thing is it doesn't always turn out so great because we don't always trust. Sometimes we fail to trust and oftentimes um, we are the cause of harm. And people are hurt because of us, because we go our own way and because we try to fix things ourselves. Just like an Abram's story. But this is the thing that blows me away about that. God never gives up on Abram, even though he made such a mess of things, even though there's this story in our Bible that we just shake our heads at. God doesn't give up on Abram. And so the truth of the matter is, is that God never gives up on us either. Even when we fail to trust, even when we make a mess of things, we can know that we'll all have a family, we'll all be a blessing, and we'll all have a place to call home. And that's really, really good news. Amen.